For eight generations, the Samuels family has distilled American whiskey. Today, Rob Samuels, the grandson of founder Bill Samuels Sr., oversees the operation of the Maker's Mark Distillery. From the soft red winter wheat they've sourced from the same local farm for over 60 years to the char in their barrels, every step in the bourbon making process is carefully crafted just like Bill Samuel Sr. did when he first created the handmade bourbon. For their excellent spirits and their support of this podcast, SFA thanks Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark crafts their bourbon carefully. Please enjoy it that way. Here at SFA World Headquarters, Associate Director Mary Beth Lassiter is our most devoted environmentalist. She reduces, she reuses, and she recycles. She's not preachy about it, she just does it. The rest of us try to follow her excellent example, and we do okay, except when it comes to compost. Most of us, absent a garden to enrich or hogs to slop, don't think to apply our environmental zeal to table scraps. That's a loss, a real loss, because food is the number one thing that we humans dump in our landfills. Food, the remnants of last night's Caesar salad, the bones from Sunday's pork roast, the white loaf that went moldy in the bread box, that stuff makes up more than 20% of the waste we turn into trash. That's not good for the environment. Mary Beth knows this. Increasingly, others now face down this truth. A number of cities in the South now work to solve the various and confounding problems created by food waste. Those cities are building 21st century systems that will sustain their citizens in the 22nd century. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells new and complicated stories about the changing American South. Irina Zhorov tells us about Charlotte, North Carolina's efforts to keep food waste out of landfills. In the summer of 2018, Beverly Sanders was on a mission. She works for Solid Waste Services in Charlotte and had received a $10,000 grant to try something relatively novel a city-run food composting service. She'd work with residents to collect food scraps and organic waste, and rather than send it to a landfill, it would go to a composting facility. There, water, oxygen, and bacteria would break down and heat up the waste, and eventually turn it into soil. She thought it was a no-brainer. Once food waste goes to the landfill, it creates methane gas. And methane gas is 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide at trapping heat in the atmosphere. Some estimates have methane as even more potent than that. Either way, keeping food out of the landfill would reduce the city's greenhouse gas emissions and do its part to slow climate change. And then we could also uh, return that food waste into soil and could be good for crops. The city's yard waste, like leaves and sticks, is already composted. But the idea was to focus on food and get people thinking about their waste more broadly. The program would encourage participants to purchase fresh produce that's healthy and easy to compost, to plan meals in order to minimize waste, and of course, to keep unavoidable scraps out of landfills. First, she had to recruit participants. Where we literally went door to door in these eight neighborhoods. She started in Charlotte's North End, where the city was already running a program that worked to improve residents' health through better waste management. 
The North End is a cluster of mostly historically black neighborhoods. Beverly's father grew up there, so she felt a particular connection with the area and its residents. Some sections are now gentrifying. For example, we're sitting in a repurposed industrial development. Where Ford once made cars and the army manufactured missiles, Charlottians now sip coffee and browse art. When she explained about the methane and climate change to residents here, people's eyes kind of glazed over. I think people need something that, like, needs, they need to feel it or, like, feel the impact of it immediately or it's like, oh, that's far off, that's my kid's future or my grandkids. Because when you talk about climate change, we're talking about 2050. That seems so far away for people and they're, they're worried about the right now. So she tried a different tactic. She reminded people that landfills fill up. The current landfill where Charlotte's waste goes has capacity for another 15 years. And when they choose spaces to build new landfills, it's mostly in low-income neighborhoods. Also, this is a health issue, she explained to anyone who opened the door to her. I had to talk about waste impacting their health because uh, people of color suffer disproportionately from health conditions such as asthma, heart disease, diabetes, and all of those things can decrease when you manage your waste properly because if you're eating more fresh fruits and vegetables that can be composted, you're not necessarily consuming that packaged food that contributes to diabetes and heart disease, and then you're also uh, increasing the quality of the air, so that helps with asthma. If you're eating more fresh, compostable produce and tossing less of it, she went on, you're saving money. And she got a little playful. If all of that isn't enough, she promised, there's a good chance you'll lose some weight. We framed it as when you eat healthy, you're not only improving your waistline, but also decreasing the waste that's going to the landfill. 100 households signed up. Each received a small bucket for scraps to keep in the kitchen and a larger bin to go outside where people could dump the smaller buckets as they filled up. They also received pamphlets explaining what can be composted. All fruit and veggie scraps, napkins, chicken bones. Then Beverly had to convince her colleagues internally to buy in. I had to work with IT and get them to route it for us. So we had like a sequential way of collecting them. So we weren't going out of our way from neighborhood to neighborhood. She asked Solid Waste Services to give her one person, one day a week to help. And she got Reginald Gray, who usually collects yard waste. They started in August 2018. It was a pretty do-it-yourself operation. Once a week, Beverly and Reginald would strap two 96-gallon carts to the back of a pickup and head out. He would drive the truck, and I would tell him what what house to stop at. Um, If they had their composting out, I would mark it off on my list. And then he would get out the truck, get the 20-gallon curbside container, pick it up, and dump it in the 96-gallon cart. And if he needed help, let's say it was some carts were too heavy, I would help him, and we would dump it. At first, Reginald didn't wear gloves. Like, he thought this gig wouldn't be a big deal. And then he realized, like, we're actually collecting food waste. The uniform, like, they have the option of short sleeves or long sleeves. And because it's in the middle of summer, he's definitely going to wear short sleeves. But then he realized, 
what the work entailed. So he was like, let me prepare for it properly. Because August in Charlotte, it is hot, which brings some challenges. Like, I want people to just imagine an immeasurable amount of maggots covering the top of a trash can and flies just like hitting your face as soon as you open the can. Like, there's nothing like it. There was this one house that just never tied up their bags. So the bugs were particularly bad. And that was actually gross too, like to see. (laughs) I'm not a bug person. And so, like I don't mind them if they don't bother me, but to have them close enough to where they could jump on me, it just didn't sit well with me. (laughs) So there were some times, there were some houses where I would not get out the truck. Also, many, many pounds of rotting food in summer heat, it can carry an odor. The smell is just something I cannot get out of my mind. (laughs) Some households didn't follow the directions she provided on what could and could not be composted. One time, someone tried to compost a pet rabbit that had passed. I'm not going to take credit for it. Reggie had to simply remove it. Reginald, or Reggie, he was kind of a hero in this whole process. He had a good spirit, like, about it all, and that was, that helped with the work, because if you have, like, a disgruntled attitude about collecting food waste, it's, it's not fun, but he was definitely in good spirits all the time, although we were collecting food waste and maggots and flies. And Beverly was motivated to keep going, too, by the participants' enthusiasm. So that kind of helped me put it out of my brain. Like, you're doing something great for Charlotte. (laughs) You can endure the smell. (laughs) She endured it while they collected the waste. On the 40-minute drive out to Earth Farm Organics, a private composting facility they used, that resells the finished compost to area gardeners. That facility had its own smell, which she endured as they weighed the trash they collected. Actually, she wasn't just enduring, she really believed in the mission. Daryl Gaston did too. He was one of the program's early adapters. He was glad the city was taking up something his family had always done. I'm 59 years old, and I remember back in the 60s, late 60s and 70s, my parents, they did a lot of gardening with uh, fresh produce and had pollinator gardens or flower gardens. And I remember always my mom and dad turned under food scraps and produce scraps under the soil. And I would observe that and I would ask why, and it was always because it helps to enrich the soil. But with the city's program, he became very focused on really tracking his waste. I had a ledger and I was doing record keeping to determine the number of pounds of food waste that I would collect. And I even have a little scale that I could weigh it. And I even took it to another level to where I started recording every day what I was consuming. So yeah, just kind of I, want, I don't want to say anal retentive, but yes, anal retentive. All that record keeping brought him insights. It revealed to me that I ate too much red meat. It revealed to me that I did not always eat enough fresh fruits and vegetables. That made me change up what I ate. It's important 
how we uh, care for ourselves and the earth. That's why I love composting because it's important on how we care for the earth. I think it's important for us to be good stewards of the earth and, and everything that's in it. The program expanded to additional neighborhoods beyond the North End. I had neighborhood leaders from other neighborhoods asking, when are you going to expand to my neighborhood? Because I heard about the great things that uh, this phase of the pilot was doing. And that got me so excited to see that people are really want to compost. The program grew to include 400 homes. Andrea Eckerd signed up in the second phase. So my husband and I were interested in reducing the amount of waste that our family produced. We were a little overwhelmed about trying to do it on our own. So this was a nice push to be able to have that option. They quickly noticed a difference. They took out less trash and more stuff went into the compost. We were surprised at how much we really produced. I don't think we thought it was going to be the amount we did. And then we got pretty excited every time we'd get to put something in the compost, even the kids learning to, to quickly be able to put things in the compost rather than the, the trash. Andrea has two daughters, and the family started to adjust how they snacked. There's a lot of prepackaged options or uh, sliced up fruit or different things that had a lot more packaging or processing to them, which now with our kids, I think that changed a lot of being able to have, have go straight for the fresh fruit. And then they're very excited to be able to, to compost and um, participate in the peelings and, and things like that, that would normally maybe have gone into the trash as well, all go into the compost. Beverly kept the program going for 18 weeks. But at the end of those 18 weeks, she and Reginald stopped their weekly pickup route. It had been a grant-funded pilot program, and she'd run out of money. They weighed their last haul and tallied the numbers. She and Reginald had collected more than seven tons of food from 400 homes in that time. Food that would have otherwise ended up in the landfill. The program hasn't been revived since then. We could really be reducing the amount of food waste that's going to the landfill right now, which is then lessening the amount of methane production. Um, but I guess it's going to take some time. When we come back, we'll hear why it's so hard to keep a program like this going, and also why it's so important. But first, Simmons Catfish is a family-owned business that calls the Mississippi Delta home. The company is committed to quality catfish and, most importantly, to its employees. My name is Maria Esparza and I've been here 20 years at Simmons. I was born in Mexico, but I was raised in West Local, Texas. When I was 19, they brought us over here to Simmons on a working contract, and I haven't went nowhere since then. Maria works as a strip table supervisor, cutting fish at the Simmons Processing Plant in Yazoo City, the same Delta town that gave us author Willie Morris. The Simmons Company recently honored her 20 years of service. Simmons marked her anniversary with a gift of a living room set, a dining room set, and more. She recalls the celebration fondly. Our people from the plant, they gave me some presents. I mean, it just felt good. They all got up, applause. It's just feeling good that you do for them and they do for you and they love you. I mean, like I said, this is family right here. We didn't go nowhere. You ain't gonna find another job like this. The next time you crave catfish, baked, fried, or in a stew, 
Look for Simmons Farm Raised Catfish, a driver of the Delta economy, an employer with integrity, the home of Willie Morris and Maria Esparza. A list of vendors is online at SimmonsCatfish.com. For their commitment to quality catfish, their belief in their employees, and their support of this podcast, we thank them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Here comes Irina Zhorov once again. In the U.S., we throw away about 40% of the food we produce. Our waste has grown in the past several decades. The largest portion of food that gets wasted actually happens at households. This is Dana Gunders with Refed, a nonprofit focused on reducing food waste. So it's, you know, 329 million of us all cleaning our fridges out and throwing away that science experiment at the back of the fridge or or scraping our plates into the garbage. So that's a huge contributor and and not far behind our restaurants. Farms tend to be kind of the the third category in the list in terms of where, where food is being left behind. Dana says reducing food waste should start with avoiding that surplus food in the first place. Whether that's a family, a farm, or a grocery store, not allowing produce to spoil. Maybe that requires clearer labeling around expiration dates. Or I see a lot of promise in some of the new technologies coming out to use big data to help really kind of tighten up the way food businesses are working. So whether that's through helping grocery stores to forecast better because they're really identifying patterns at a more specific level to actual products. And there's a lot of artificial intelligence going into that that's helping Uh, grocery stores buy less in in the first place and match their purchases to um, what they sell. But she acknowledges that we'll always have some scraps. And Refed's research shows that a centralized composting system is the most effective method for diverting refuse from landfills and reducing greenhouse gases associated with waste. The word centralized here is kind of key. It's something cities or municipalities can tackle at scale, not individuals. Cities that have implemented composting reduce what they're sending to the landfill, though exact numbers can be hard to parse. In Charlotte, Beverly knew she wanted to reach a lot of people. Imagine if we could do that on a large scale. So why not as a city, since we talk about wanting to lessen uh, the environmental impacts of pollution, why not really put our money where (laughs) our mouths are and really back a composting program. But she was also thinking about equity. When she was recruiting people to join the pilot, she saw clear differences in how the initiative was accepted in the different neighborhoods. I would say that the neighborhoods who had more access, I'm just going to say higher income neighborhoods, were more excited about the program. Like, they were all about composting. She thinks it was a resource issue. I actually heard that when I did my knock and talks. 
for people who said no, they were just like, I don't have the, the time or um, the, the mental capacity to worry about that right now. I appreciate you asking me to participate, but I just, I can't do it right now. That was in contrast to the wealthier neighborhoods where some households actually kept composting even after the city's pilot program expired. They use a private company. They pay $30 per month for weekly pickup. Andrea Eckhart was one of the people that kept going after her family's positive experience with the city's pilot. I'm in a privileged place that I can afford that and, and not consider it uh, a limit to doing this. So it, it could be for other people for sure having to, to pay that fee. Still, she wishes the city could have kept it up. The city could reach a, a much wider audience and get more involvement. And they, I think they excel in communicating to the, the public. Daryl Gaston agrees. Trash, food waste, and scraps, it has to go somewhere. Something has to happen with it. So if we can make it beneficial, then so be it. And I think that the city and county really have a responsibility to make that happen. Um, I, I know I'm a taxpaying citizen, so I'm being taxed anyway, so go, let's go on and make it happen where composting is available to everyone. Daryl has his own small compost pile in his yard and uses that now that the city isn't composting. Small piles like his can't handle as much waste, and they also can't break down meat or bones. But he's kept up a lot of the practices he adopted during the city's program. Definitely less wasteful. Even if I have food waste, I, I just know now that it doesn't just go into the trash can for the sanitation workers to pick it up. I know that I'm going to use it to enrich or to enhance soil and to help with my flowers and fresh fruits and vegetables and things like that. While Beverly's program is defunct for now, she's still proselytizing the compost gospel, trying to sell those close to her on it. Her friends, so far, aren't buying it. She did convince her mom, though, she became a vegan uh, two years ago, and she stuck with it because I talked about, uh, one, the amount of weight she could lose, <laughs> and two, like how she could compost her food waste. So that was great. I sold one person. But, of course, she wants more. Beverly crunched the numbers once the pilot ended. To introduce a citywide composting program, including buying the necessary trucks, would cost about $50 million. Then there's the annual cost of running it after that. This year, total expenditures for Charlotte's waste collection were about $64 million. But Beverly thinks there'd be savings in other places to make up for that price tag. Trash collection would probably go down with increased composting, for example. So she's not giving up. Uh, I hope that Charlotte will one day have a municipal composting program. I don't know how long it'll be, but I, I, I'm very hopeful it will be within the next 10 years. Maybe if I manifest it. <laughs> Irina Zhiroff produced and reported this episode. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music, Jazar for our donor music, Charlie Kyer helped mix this story. Sarah Camp Bottom serves SFA as our managing editor, and Mary Beth Laster serves as our publisher. Visit us at southernfoodways.org 
to see the fruits of their labors and to watch our Ruth Bertel Keeper of the Flame Award film, our newest one, about the life and work of Hanan Shabazz, the pride of Asheville, North Carolina. And while you're there, consider becoming a member or making a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us to make more gravy. They really do. I'm Melissa Hall. I'm John T. Edge. Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ear.